The Indie Insider Podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. The company also offers educational resources for aspiring and experienced developers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you every week. For more on Blackshell Media, visit blackshellmedia.com. Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Tobias Hugren, CEO of White Wolf Entertainment, a sister company of Paradox Interactive. We talk about his impressive journey through the industry, his tips to surviving E3, how he became a masterful project manager, business advice for indie developers, and much more. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshowmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz or at Indie underscore Insider. Finally, you can follow us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. And now, Tobias Hugren of White Wolf Entertainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the Indie Insider Podcast. Today, I'm very excited. I'm talking to Tobias Hugrin, who is the CEO of White Wolf Publishing, which is a daughter company to Paradox Interactive. Tobias, how are you? I'm good. Uh, and we actually just changed the name to White Wolf Entertainment even. So, yeah. Oh, wow. White Wolf Entertainment. There you go. What was the, what was the thought process behind the change? So we're not really doing um, publishing these days. Uh, since we acquired White Wolf uh, from CCP, we are operating it as a licensing um, uh, business where we develop the meta plot and the stories and uh, um, find them good partners who can do everything from books, computer games, events, and so forth for this. So um, and we were getting a lot of requests about people who want us to, to publish their stuff. So we thought that um, entertainment is really what we do. So that, that fits better. Okay. So uh, you said your licensing, is that specifically built around um, VIP Vampire, the Masquerade? The whole, um, we actually have a couple of different IPs, uh, but okay. um, the universe of, of um, World of Darkness uh, is, of course, the thing in focus. Uh, Vampire okay. the Masquerade, Werewolf um, of the Apocalypse, um, etc., etc. Uh, uh, nine big um, IPs in that um, uh, universe, World of Darkness. So they're okay. our main focus, but we have other IPs like as well. Um, we have the... Um, uh, somewhat of a different version of, of uh, um, World of Darkness, which we called Chronicles of Darkness. Uh, we have also the um, Exalted um, role-playing game um, and some other smaller ones, but that's, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, just just to clarify in my head, so uh, White Wolf Entertainment isn't uh, designing or developing these games, but rather licensing them out, putting them out there, uh, finding partners to create other products around those IPs, is that right? Correct. A good, a couple of good examples. Uh, Onyx Path Publishing have, um, for, before we acquired uh, White Wolf and are continuously uh, publishing um, role-playing books and, and fiction. Um, we work with um, By Night Studios who've done events and um, uh, the My Side Theatre books. We um, 
also announced <coughs> excuse me a um, computer game uh, with uh, Focus Home developed by Cyanide uh, oh, right. based on the Werewolf Apocalypse game so we're spanning all over over this field uh, but the work that we do and that we give to our licensees is of course the, the extreme wealth of um, this IP um, all of this, the stories, all of the characters and everything, the, the lore and so forth that's been produced in the past but then also of course we are internally developing this um, um, taking it further, telling um, more stories um, uh, what happened um, since you know the early 2000 um, timeline um, to until now and in the future so that's that's what we're working on um, and have partners then actually do that in in games or books or whatever it is that's excellent that's great so of course I know um, paradox interactive for you know some of their larger games um, city skyline uh, steel division and uh, hearts of iron so you know games in in, in that respect um, but what is it like being you know kind of a daughter company and um, you know w- working in your own kind of, of corner and working with these IPs so yeah I, <coughs> I actually worked um, about three years at Paradox um, before we acquired White Wolf so um, very familiar with the organization and the people working there and um, uh, that's great we usually say we're a sister company actually because the way oh, we okay organized this uh, uh, when we when we purchased uh, White Wolf was we realized that if we want to fulfill the full potential uh, of this IP um, we need to have uh, especially a lot more computer games done than only Paradox Paradox could do so um, uh, that's when we um, uh, figured out that we need to make it like an independent part of the, the group so from a um, kind of organizational perspective, you have the Paradox Group company, uh, they own White Wolf, they own Paradox Interactive, um, and um, but that's as far as, as a really, uh, from, from the business side, interact with Paradox Interactive, we're sharing some um, uh, legal resources, uh, some finance resources, uh, um, but um, that's pretty much it. Um, sure. So in a lot of ways, you are, you're just separate. You're kind of doing your own thing. But um, I, I guess because you're sister companies, you can share some of the things that are really important, right? You kind of get support in that way. Well, actually, um, uh, yeah. I mean, from from a group perspective, uh, I mean, Paradox is a big uh, big company now, and they have great right. uh, IT support and all of that. So it's, it's really like we're running this independent um, entity in this big organization where we have this awesome support uh, with everything you would need if you were a startup, right? Um, offices, uh, IT, and, and all kinds of services like that. It's just um, um, ready and available for us. So it's it's a very luxurious uh, situation. <laughs> and at the same, same time, we, we, we do whatever we want. Um, so it's, it's really good. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, let's go ahead and start at the beginning. Uh, before we get there, though, I wanted to mention... Uh, as as I told you before, I was um, I would say quote unquote stalking you a bit on Twitter, um, and and checking out some of the things you were at E three, uh, twenty seventeen at the Indiecade booth with Vampire the Masquerade, um, and I actually saw that 
friend of the show and previous guest uh david mullick was checking out your game and uh, yeah. you, you tweeted that out so uh it's cool it's always cool to see those connections between people who have come on the show yeah yeah, yeah. how was e3 for you so e3 for for me is usually always busy i have um I have a habit of booking a lot of meetings uh, that I have a hard <laughs> time to give up. Um, so unfortunately, um, I didn't spend much time in the in the Indicate booth there. And and uh, really great uh, thanks to to Indicate that um, um, accepted the, our game application there for for uh, these mobile games that we're showing there. But I, I run around the E3 uh, meeting with people mainly in the Marriott um, uh, lobby there and. Um, uh, it's always a great show, uh, meeting a lot of friends and uh, from, from way back when people have done business with or people just uh, met, uh, meet at all of these events and uh, talk to them and um, see what's going on in the industry, get their points and uh, views on things. And uh, yeah, it's always great. So um, I think there are a couple of things in there that I want to pick on uh, before we get to your regular story, specifically in relation to indie developers. So there are many indie developers who have, you know, aspirations of being at E3, showing their game at E3, uh, taking so many meetings that they uh, have a hard time giving up, uh, like you mentioned. How do you how do you manage E3 and, and manage meetings? Do you have time management tips that, that might be helpful for people at, at a major conference like that? Um, I am, like, used to very very careful uh to make sure that i book everything and get um, uh, respondents uh, from uh, um, whoever i booked the meeting with uh in the calendar uh in the calendar i put in very exact locations and telephone numbers to to myself and the other person so it's very easy to find each other um that's pretty, pretty much it i usually manage to uh, to uh, operate on a 30 minute uh, meeting basis for um, actually, DC three was it was fairly uh, fairly soft in that sense. But um, I've, I've, in the days uh, way back when, when I was an agent, I I definitely had um, you know these eight ten hours back on back thirty minute meetings. Um, it usually works well. You're, you're, you have to break the the meeting at the right time. And I I really use the um, the iPhone watch. What's it called? I I watch. Yeah. So it gives you that uh, Apple watch. Uh, yeah, it gives you that little indication when it's 10 minutes or 5 minutes left so you, you know when to, to run without having to, to disturb your, your meeting with, um, you know, just looking at the watch all the time. So it's good. That's an important thing that I think we don't talk about enough is you know, we worry about getting to our meeting on time, but we don't always focus on ending our meeting on time. So, I mean, making sure that all the information is in the time that we've allotted for it, but once that time is up, I mean, you got to run, right? Yeah. 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 Are you a pretty naturally organized guy? I mean, you mentioned you know keeping your calendar pretty well, but I know even I sometimes have a hard time sitting down, putting things in my calendar. Uh, that just seems seems hard for me. Um, it's a it's a skill that I'm learning to acquire. But does that come pretty naturally to you? Yeah, having been, um, I, I I think I always been. It's probably part of my my. Uh, personality type as well <laughs> in a way but certainly when when I was running um, my own agency and later worked for for DDM uh, that was so so important um, and my days are usually just meetings right so uh, I'm, I'm really if it if it's not in the calendar it just simply doesn't exist to me um, it's a super important tool for me um, 
and um, I'm I'm hooked to to my calendar on my on my iPhone all the time. <laughs> well, I appreciate you making time for me on your calendar. I really do. Uh, so the one other thing I'll talk about about E3, and then and then we'll dive into your story. Um, so you guys were actually in the E3 IndieCade booth, um, and and a lot of indie devs have aspirations of making it into the IndieCade booth, getting in front of you know so many people and and journalists and uh, industry professionals. I know you didn't spend much time at the booth this year, like you mentioned, but what is it like to be at the IndieCade booth? Is that a positive experience for the most part? Oh, absolutely. And um, like I would say, we had, of course, uh, people on staff uh, at the booth all the time. So we had, um, for example, Jason Call um, there who who uh, explained the games and so forth. I think it was great. Uh, we were very honored to, to, um, to do this. And it's a good point because I've just told the story about us being a licensee and we're not publishing anything. Um, these two games, um, uh, We Eat Blood, and, uh, which is a vampire game, and Mage Refuge, um, are the two exceptions, really. We started with them just soon after we acquired White Wolf, and we, we did those internally. And uh, um, uh, basically, yeah. So that's that's our kind of our own games. Okay. Uh, where we used uh, great um, great talent, uh, friends of ours. Um, we, we helped us do great music, really do good stories and so forth. So uh, um, uh, having, having uh, indicated... Uh, you know, recognizing those games was was amazingly cool. Um, so yeah, and it was a really great uh, uh, the time I, I spent there. I walked around and checked in all the other booths, and it was a very welcoming, very um, very nice environment. Um, you know, easy to talk to everyone else. Everyone is so excited about uh, to show their games for you, and uh, uh, it was a great great experience. Absolutely, that's excellent. Well, hey, I I guess I'm curious. Do you see the effects of being at the Indicate booth pretty quickly. I mean, do you do you end up seeing articles from people about your games? Do I, I, do you see any coverage, direct coverage from being there? Uh, we did. We saw a couple of small things, and I think um, probably people. So we have a very two very difficult games to 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 promote there because they're text based kind of choose your own adventure type of of. Uh, interactive stories sure so they're not very kind of visual um <laughs> uh, that might have have played in a little bit in that uh we, we've got a couple but um there's nothing i could see uh, that affected our our sales or or anything like that um, um i'm gonna say but probably that's because that our our games are not those kind of games that that pop out in that kind of environment not at all so so uh, um I, I'm, I'm certain there's for others is a, a much better experience in that sense. <laughs> sure, fair enough. Well, hey, Tobias, let's talk uh, about you. Tell me a little bit about your story, uh, where you come from, how you got into video games in the first place. Yeah, it's um, actually I realized uh, at E3 this year that um, I've been in the computer games industry for 21 years, and I'm 42 years old, so half my life now, I guess. <laughs> Congratulations, um, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, I always play computer games when, when like like most others, I guess, uh, liked programming, like computers. I actually got computer at home just because I wanted to be a musician, so I had this set of synthesizers, and I started doing music with my computer, and that's how I kind of got into to computers. Um, and um, 
it's a weird coincidence, really. I um, um, did a military service in Sweden, which was basically um, everyone did at that point in time. Uh, I kept in touch with um, a couple of the guys afterwards, and, and one of these guys, he um, he called me about half a year after we, we left military service when I was attending a, a programming uh, school. And uh, he said, hey, I was like, I know you're good on computers and programming. Can you can you help my father out? He, he, and his father turned out to be a CEO of the big, big printing company. It was basically did loads of annual reports and uh, all kind of stuff. And they, they had a great new business idea that was doing uh, um, annual reports on CD-ROMs. That They were like, that's the future. That's what everyone's going to do. So we used... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone uh, recognized those tools anymore, but Macromedia Director, uh, the thing that were before Shockwave, basically. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, put the text from, from the annual report into like a, a 640, a 480 um, resolution, because that's, you know, if, if, if we were lucky, somebody had like a four-spin CD-ROM reader, so uh, <laughs> all, the, all the art was also an 8-bit graphic, so it's... Uh, Pictures were really tricky. You needed to do this. Um, um, yeah, that was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun, though. Um, uh, problem solving and so forth. And I, the program, um, sorry, the project leader there, uh, project manager, uh, Patrick Sutherland, he, um, he and I got uh, along well. And um, not too long into this, um, he said, hey, let's, to be honest, let's, let's move on and, and start doing games instead. Wouldn't that be much more fun? And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do that. So, uh, we, we went off and started a company called O2, O2 Media. I started doing um, uh, a lot of games for the Swedish market, but also like children's games and horse games for kids, uh, for, for girls. Um, okay. And um, we met up with these guys, uh, Mats and Johan, from um, university in, in, in Stockholm, um, the Royal Royal Technical University, and um, they were just finishing off their education there um, uh, by doing this uh, exam kind of work um, project, where they showed um, uh, if you started one executable file, you were a tank. If you started that one, you were an airplane. If you started the third one, you were a jeep. I don't like to remember what it was, and they're like, "Yeah, this is so cool. And you can play them together. And you basically were in the same big flat green map." Um, in the same same space over 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 the network, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna call it Battlefield. It's gonna be awesome." <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, like that's that's cool." Uh, we we talk more and more about it, and and um, so we started this company, um, Refraction Games, and um, with the purpose of of um, getting this Battlefield idea out there. Um, at that time, I was. A script programmer um, uh, did this audio design and um, um, project management, and um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it was we worked day and night at that point. Nobody wanted to buy a Battlefield game like a, a multiplayer game on PC at that point. Was nobody really believed in that? Yeah, you had a couple of uh, what's it called tribes and so forth, but um, it was hard. Uh, but we did this game called Codename Eagle. Um, which also had a multiplayer part in it, which later, um, when um, uh, I took a little bit break from, from Refraction Games, 
because uh, I basically worked myself to, to death there. Um, and they went off and pitched um, uh, Battlefield around. They got acquired by another Swedish developer called Dice. Right. Um, and Patrick became the CEO of Dice. And um, uh, so the, you know, the company acquired him, took the, the CEO from the, the company they acquired and put him as CEO there. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, I think it was pretty smart of them. And uh, eventually there was a guy called Scott Evans at um, uh, EA, uh, EA um, Distribution, EAD, I think it was called that, run by a gentleman called Tom Fusina, a real amazing character, uh, amazing man, um, learned so much from him. They, they picked up this Battlefield concept and said, this is, this is something special. Um, they played Konamiga multiplayer, and um, um, yeah, to, to cut cut that short um battlefield became uh, 1942 became a really really uh, <laughs> amazing um, um product of course um, yeah it did and i found myself as the uh, came back to dice and uh, found myself at uh, as the manager of the stockholm studio at the time we had um, three different studios uh in Gothenburg in sweden and also one in canada so actually yep. i do have a question for you um yeah sure so you mentioned you were at Refraction, you were starting to put together, you know, um, Battlefield, and you actually took a break, you mentioned in there, um, when they actually pitched it to DICE, you were somewhere else, right? Yeah. yeah. Because you had just worked so hard. What do you mean? Did you just have some burnout you needed to address? I think we, uh, what we realized at that point was that we were not working particularly smart. We were working by, by brute force. Uh, and... Um, Luckily, I did not burn myself out, but um, I saw that if we don't learn how to do uh, to run these kind of projects better, um, uh, we will eventually. Um, you know, I remember sitting there and, and um, crunching code at, at midnight on Friday evenings and stuff like that outside the window. You could see the people going to the bars and so forth. That was <laughs> it's kind of not what I envisioned. So. Um, I, I joined a company called uh, M2S, um, which did um, uh, software for um, uh, learning how to use uh, Microsoft Office and so forth. Um, okay. So I did that for about a year, one and a half, uh, which was really my first introduction to international business. Um, it's a great company to work with because they only had a great development department where I learned a lot about um, uh, product management, but they also... Uh, I got to help out on doing um, uh, establishing their office in Paris, the new office there, for example. I helped uh, all the local offices that had all over Europe. I think they, they were in 11 countries total. So I got to start to travel a lot and do business um, internationally. And, and um, that that was very useful uh, experience when I came back to DICE later. Because that's, that's what we were into at the time, working with EA and, and Microsoft. Sure. So you learned a lot about, I guess you mentioned project management, but also, you know, overseeing a lot of different moving parts and different, you know, uh, I guess offices and things like that. I mean, what what really applied? Um, and I guess, what is it? What did you learn about being a project manager? Um, <laughs> I know that's a broad very, question. No, but I, I think it's absolutely a very good question because some of the key points is like super simple, really, right? Uh, um I guess everyone more or less heard about uh, the project triangle where you, you have to balance time with quality and, and uh, resources, right, or money. Right. And, you know, if if you move 
two of those, you know, um, yeah, the, one needs to stay constant or, or other way around. It's like if you want to change your, your, your resources, um, then lessen that something else needs to give right quality or, or time and so forth. And um, that's super basic stuff, but actually using and seeing that in practice um, um, helped me a lot. And I remember coming back to, to DICE and started to talk to the project managers there about that, which at the time was mainly people who just came straight out of school and started doing stuff. Um, I mean, this is early, late 90s, early 2000. And even though um, computer games business in, in the Nordic region in Sweden um, was already at that point very, very established and good, uh, uh, comes so far from from that point. Um, so <laughs> getting that influx of experience from other businesses, it's like this is actually how people do. That was very useful. All right. So you're a studio manager in Sweden um, for Dice, and you're you're working with Battlefield. What happens from there? Yeah, actually, the last game that I ever kind of touched uh, um, super hands on was a game called Rally Sport Challenge. Um, which is, which was the release title for Xbox. Uh, I was the producer on that one while I also was a studio manager. Okay. Um, um, so um, uh, what I realized uh, in my, was it four years about at DICE, um, was that I really liked the, the business part of things. Um, doing business development, figuring out how to set new things up, starting new projects, uh, you know, take a idea about... How can we how can we do a mobile studio or how can we how can we sell our our engine to um, um, for somebody to license our engine and so forth? So started working with all that kind of uh, different deals and got more and more focused on that. So that's what I did my last year at at uh, Dice and then uh, when EA acquired um, um, Dice for for getting the Battlefield IP from them because this is an important part. Uh, Dice actually kept the IP too to um to battlefield right um, so um then um it was fairly natural to me the ba basically said well we're going to focus on battlefield uh and i'm like oh yeah well i'm going to go and focus on business development myself so um yeah, still best of friends but i i left because i, I realized this is not the place where i'm, I'm going to be happy in the future i want to do want to do new business so i started my own agency and tried to I was in a very lucky position because um, when it, when you have a hit like uh, uh, Battlefield or whatever kind of hit game, right? People want to be your friend; they want to know you, and um, <laughs> it, it's it's a very luxurious situation. So I built up a, a network of contacts with all the you know, computer games publishers that were really really useful. Um, so I thought, like, if I can help my other computer games business friends and studios um, all over the place to to do better business uh, and to find uh, deals with these publishers, uh, that might be a good idea. So um, started my own my own agency like that, and uh, actually inspired by a company called the ISM, who who uh, who worked with Dice back in the days and helped them helped them, and also an agency. Um, so um, did that for yeah three and a half years. Uh, then sold that agency, uh, which at the time was myself and and um, uh, my my colleague uh, Johan Sjöberg, who now works at the Paradox actually. Um, <clears throat> sold that to a American agency uh, called DDM, Digital okay. Development Management. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, worked there for another three and a half years. Um, and it was great. That was that was awesome. <laughs> what was the name of that company that you started? <laughs> uh, I almost wish you wouldn't uh, ask that. So, um, I, I, and you don't have to answer if you, you don't want to. That's all right. <laughs> it's a funny story. Such a stupid name. We <laughs> we applied for names, and I guess we weren't too. Uh, the names we came up were fairly generic, I guess. So the the agency in Sweden, which kind of approves your name, uh, they just kept on saying no to our name suggestions. We're basically first started named like startup company or something like that. Just just like an empty, stupid name. So we wanted to change. And um, after a while, you set in like five applications at the time. And at this point, you didn't do anything online. Um, and we got refusals on all of them. And, and uh, eventually, we just looked at pictures on the internet. And somebody said like, here's a road sign from Mexico that says Peligroso. Put that in there. Right. And uh, that was the 24th name suggestion uh, that became wow. the, uh, the name Pel- so Peligroso. And people asked me, it's like, why did you name it Peligroso? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's not go there. In the end, we call it Peligroso <laughs> Entertainment uh, Group or something like that. So Peg was the, the, the short short for it. Interesting. That's, that's such a great story. I actually love that. Thank you for sharing that. So, uh, Tobias... What exactly were you doing at that company? What kind of you said you were doing kind of the the business, but um, what does that necessarily mean? Yeah, so it's a good example, also kind of to to relate to to uh, the indie scene, um, which at the time was were popping up. So my my analysis really going into to starting this was that um, previously it had been really really difficult to for uh, independent developer to to just do your own game get it out on the market um, mm-hmm. but already uh, in the original Xbox Microsoft started talking about doing small games with smaller studios more arcadeish kind of games they were calling it uh, Xbox Live Arcade of course right so they never got it out for for the first Xbox but uh, when a 360 hit that was all in there and and my idea was like this is gonna be awesome because there's gonna be so many talented small kind of new studios that can do some really really cool games with this um, and um, I basically got like at that time you needed the approval for for um, for the game from Microsoft so I got Microsoft to approve game concepts from studios uh, and then I went around to to publishers that like here I have a greenlit um, Xbox Live Arcade game and XBLA kind of became a hit fairly quickly. Um, so um, that was a really good business for me. So I, I, I found this developers and said, you should really do a, a Xbox Live Arcade game out of this. I'll, I'll make sure I get it um, uh, signed up with Microsoft and sign up with a publisher so you get paid for this, get a marketing and everything like that. And then my, my business deal with, with these developers was that uh, pay me only if I do good for you. So uh, it was on a commission basis. So oh, wow. um, the percentage was a little bit different, but it was um, usually like a 10% fee on, on their revenues. Um, so uh, whenever then they got, in the end, when they got paid uh, by the publisher, I sent an invoice uh, and they paid me uh, whatever, 5 10% it was on that. And... Um, uh, cash flow wise, um, an agency operating in that sense is not a very good business, but uh, I think it's a fair <laughs> deal. It's a, it makes you really be on your toes as a business as well. Um, 
so um, uh, yeah, I, I, had, I had great fun doing that. It was it was difficult, but it was um, it's the right kind of incentivement uh, incentivement model, really. Sure. Well, uh, you know, one thing that I'm thinking about as as you're talking about this is that there are a lot of indie developers out there now, many, many indie developers who have access to resources to make their games, but who, you know, maybe lack the skills or struggle with the business side of, you know, putting a game out there as somebody who has, you know, and still is a big part of the business side of the video game industry. What would you say to those people, the people who are trying to figure out how to manage the business of being an indie developer? (laughs) I gotta. I'm gonna squeeze in like a, it's a story from the the trenches here. And of course, in, yeah. For answering your question properly, one of these developers, um, a Danish developer, that I really wanted to work with because uh, they were very talented. Um, uh, had a CEO called David. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? David. Um, um, ah, me and names. Um, <laughs> It's too late in the afternoon movie. Uh, David Helgason, um, and um, they had a really cool engine. And, the, and David said, uh, when I tried to convince him, hey, shouldn't you work with me as your agent? He said, like, no, 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 we're going to take our engine and we're going to give it away for free. That's going to be our business. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. But Unity kind of worked out and, and it also helped a lot of a lot of indies. Um, right. That was an amazing, amazing thing. A uh, great vision for him. So, to connect to that, I think uh, what you need as a uh, any developer, any publisher, right? It doesn't matter if you're small or, or big these days. You need something unique. Uh, you need something in your um, in your game, um, in the experience of your game that is unique. Um, you can see big publishers even who who fail on this sometimes, and um, doesn't help them that they have hundreds of millions perhaps in in development budgets. They will fail as well, right? Um, so so, my my advice to to all developers, in the developers specifically, is like, what is your special little thing there? Um, we you need to have something um, that gets the excitement going of, of, of the players so they, they keep on talking about it and tell their friends about it or, or make the journalists write about it uh, in beforehand so you get that kind of editorial press or uh, whatever it is you need to have something unique and, and these days when I, I see some people complaining about oh it's so much harder today to be a um, uh, an indie developer than, than back in the day. So I'm like, you know what? I, I can tell you I was in the 90s. It was not easy. <laughs> it was actually much harder. Um, I got in that... The way I got to learn to know um, Rami Ismail was that I just saw this guy on, on Twitter who's like complaining about, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of tricky to be an indie developer these days. And I was like, I gave him like, dude... You should have been, you should have been around in the nineties. Uh, then I realized he had like at the time 70,000 followers on Twitter or something like that. I was right. like, "Oops, who am I? Who am I really talking to?" And I, I um, set up a meeting and I got to know uh, Rami, and he's like, um, he's a fantastic guy. Um, so happy I, I, I met him uh, through through uh, made a friend through Twitter. Sure. Uh, but uh, he's a good example as well, I think, on, on a studio that they, they, they really managed to, to do some really unique, cool games uh, every time, basically. Um, and that's, that's what it comes down to in the end. 
Well, uh, Tobias, you said that your company, um, Peg, got acquired by DDM, right? Um, and that was, mm. I, I think, if we're talking about the timeline of things, kind of like 2007, 2008, is that right? Somewhere in there? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we sold it in 2008 in uh, April. Um, it was uh, a fairly short process, luckily, but... Um, I was actually just uh, having my first kid then, so I, I remember sending out the email with the press release from the day after my daughter was born, so the 29th of uh, April, <laughs> the oh, wow. press release went out, uh, 2008. Yeah. It's interesting how you remember those dates and tie those things into important life events like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That had to be kind of a crazy time for you to be, you know, uh, selling your company and also, you know, having a child. Yeah, yeah. No, luckily, it was an easy transaction. But yes, uh, it was um, uh, there was a lot of things, uh, moving parts going on. The I think the DDM guys, Jeff and Joe, who runs DDM, run DDM at that time. They um, I remember when we were having some negotiations, and I said, "Well, I'm going to get my first kid now." And in Sweden, we we're big on you know equal uh, parental leave, so I'm I'm going to be off for like six months. And they're like, "Oh, six weeks? That's a lot." I'm like, "No, no, no." six months <laughs> and they're like what um that's how we do it in sweden and and, and i was uh, um, so yeah it was weird but um yeah. so you stayed on with ddm for a few years then right yeah uh, uh a bit more than three years and um um it was a great experience we were in constant deal flow we know exactly what publishers were looking for what um, it's you kind of get high on that uh, constant, um, uh, you know, meetings and opportunities just being thrown around. It was it was a great time, but um, I was I was starting to really miss um, uh, getting into the nitty gritty things of the deals in, in the end. Uh, just being this guy who's put people together and then they run off and do what I think is the the funny part, the actual really figuring the details out, um, I realized like it was time for me to 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 get back to that. So I, I've looked for um, uh, somebody in, somewhere in Sweden um, where I could work and do something important. Um, and um, I ran into some guys who had a company called Stardoll at the time, and they were doing uh, uh, basically an online. MMO typeish uh, fashion uh, system for teenage girls around the world. Um, they maxed out at I think twenty two million uh, monthly active users. So, so it's a huge system. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, and they've been around for like six years at that time. Really good investors and Sequoia and, and Index as as investors VCs. Um, and they wanted to do mobile stuff, and um, uh, I got to to start up a mobile uh, studio inside that uh, that's startle uh, at that time it was great i it's kind of going back a little bit to the 90s doing games with very kind of hands-on which i wanted uh, and also doing games for uh, uh, an audience that doesn't really get you know specific games made for them um and um it was also like by some like frowned upon or even like doing games for girls, uh, and that, that kind of triggered me to to like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna show that this is something actually very viable and very very important. Um, 
but unfortunately, um, this, the the part that I was not working with uh, the the community website uh, were supposed to to put in all of the money. Um, uh, you re really didn't in the end, so ended up helping out to um, um, fire a lot of people at at Stardoll and um, uh, spent one and a half year there, and I didn't really want to uh, stay around after I basically fired all my, my whole team myself. <laughs> So sure. um, I moved uh, then my friends over at Paradox and Johan who, who worked with me before at uh, at uh, Peg uh, and Fredrik Vester who runs Paradox. Um, they reached out and said, "Hey, you should come work here." So so I did, and then Paradox and then White Wolf. Right. So uh, before we dive into Paradox and, and White Wolf uh, for another time, let's talk a little bit about mobile and uh, about games for girls that's that's an interesting topic not something we talk about very much or at least we haven't on the show what are your thoughts about games for girls and uh, and what are your thoughts about um mobile video games especially you know both in your time in the mobile video game industry and also now i know you're you're putting out a couple things through white wolf right yeah yeah um mobile games is definitely tricky i mean at, at this at the time, uh, at Stardoll, the, the industry was not as as uh, evolved as it is now, so it was easier then, absolutely. Even so, it was difficult. Um, I think the mobile industry is, is uh, yeah, the, the whole, f the free-to-play kind of take on, 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 on that business makes it, makes it difficult. Uh, the price point, uh, and what we try to do with, um, our mobile games with the White Wolf was actually to, against all advices, uh, do uh, premium games and, and um, charge um, five dollars for them, four ninety nine, um, because there's no way in in, um, in the world you could do a free to play game with that kind of uh, story game. We thought, um, and that's a very 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 tricky business. Um, I don't I don't envy people who are in in the mobile business um, for a living. It must be. Uh, uh, exhausting, but I think it's um, it's fascinating to see. Um, sure, fair enough. Games for girls. Uh, I got a lot of. Um, it was an interesting. This is this is when I started seeing some parts of this um, um, kind of internet gets angry type of stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's interesting to see how people sometimes. To me, it was weird because sometimes it felt like. Uh, people thought it was bad to do games for girls, uh, but doing games for boys was okay. Uh, and uh, and it was also that's like, well, if we, if you do a game for girls, it should not be about fashion. And I was like, well, but you know, we have, we have young teenagers from the whole of the world, like twenty two million of them on a monthly basis, who really loves this, and it did. They did amazing creations there. It was really like a uh, like two D Minecraft of fashion for for girls. Um, <laughs> sure, and they were so creative, doing such cool stuff. So um, um, I think you know, put their put the right kind of tools in 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 right people's hands, and and they're gonna make some awesome awesome stuff of that. And it's important that we serve every every segment of the computer games industry. Every possible um, segment of customer needs to to get their products um, we cannot uh, say that well you know you should not do games for for these groups or these groups uh, that that's just that's weird to me 
I can... Uh, well, I guess I'll say I, I, I'm sorry that that ended up not being your favorite experience, maybe, that, on your list. Um, but it, I can hear how passionate that you were about the concept of it and, and what you were doing. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, something we did uh, in the 90s there. We did a couple of um, uh, CD-ROM games for, for girls. Um, uh, some of the first ever uh, horse-focused uh, uh, games or games with a horse team theme. Uh, and they sold crazy good, and we got these letters uh, from people who's like, "Thank you, finally a game that you know works for my my young girls or whatever it was." Right? Um, uh, somebody lately uh, put up this amazing YouTube demo of this old game that I hadn't seen myself in almost almost twenty years, and um, she wrote how important that game was for her in in the nineties and wow. that she found a copy now. And I was like, so I used to text her and said like, yeah, I was the <laughs> I commented on YouTube there and said like, oh, I was the programmer on that, and thank you so much. It means so much to to hear that. Um, it's it's um, uh, it's it's one of the best feelings. That's uh, that's the good feeling of doing this kind of um, work that we do when you see uh, how happy how how uh, how touched people can can become of your your art your work um, in your games right do you think that your being a father has had an effect on you and kind of the way you view those types of projects and things uh, not uh, maybe i i got two <laughs> girls actually so so that's right. a good point uh um yeah but I, I, I did think that was important before I got my two girls, even more important now, perhaps. Yeah. Sure, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'd like to ask you about being a father is, I mean, this industry, the video game industry, is known for being um, particularly taxing on people's time, on people's lives. Do you find it difficult ever to balance being a professional in this industry and also being a father? Yeah. It's... <clears throat> it definitely is uh, tricky, or, or being a husband for that matter. Uh, I think um, my my wife takes uh, a bigger toll of this than than I do. Uh, especially in Sweden, where where it's extremely usual that that both parents works, uh, both parents have a full time full time occupation. So we, uh, me and my wife, share a lot of the work, you know, of picking up the kids from from school and so forth, and. Uh, cooking food at home and uh, whatever it is. And uh, uh, when I'm out traveling or, or have very intense periods at, at work, uh, when she, she has to do all of that uh, on her own. And that's that's tricky. It's uh, the, the quality of life and the balance in life is, is very, very important. I think we're getting better at it in, as, a, <laughs> as a general industry, but uh, it's always a challenge. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Well, so you stepped over to Paradox Interactive. You had some colleagues and friends there who reached out to you. And then Paradox ended up uh, acquiring White Wolf, which is where you are now the CEO. And that brings us back to where we started, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you're looking back and telling the story, you know, of all the places you've been, the what, 21 years in the industry, a half of your life, you know, doing this work, what do you think? What does that feel like? Is is that something you're proud of? I'm I'm extremely proud of of uh, um, having you know helped people to do uh, businesses and uh, 
in in some cases it's been people who just had a coming out from 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 school uh, having an idea of of uh, maybe they want to start up a computer games company and in helping those guys to maybe get an Xbox Live Arcade game deal or whatever it's been right and and seeing those things actually you now or seeing the people uh, in other companies and, uh, it makes me extremely happy uh, and, and and proud of course um, absolutely well i i know you want to run i know you know you've got you've got a life to live and a family to go take care of so i won't keep you too terribly long um but you know thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me i appreciate it um of course there's two last things i want to ask you um the second to last thing um is essentially what's what does the future look like for you you know you've You've been with Paradox for a while now. You've been with White Wolf for what, almost two years now. Um, mm. You know, what does the future look like for Tobias? So, the the exciting things that got me super excited about White Wolf really isn't isn't only the fact that it's going a little bit broader than computer games, where I, I spent most of my time. It goes into to books, TV. Um, uh, movies and, and events and so forth. So it's it's really for me developing my skill set in in a lot of different entertainment um, uh, businesses. Um, so that's from a business perspective that was very uh, uh, interesting to me to learn more. Uh, I've always been driven by by a, a need an urge to learn more. Um, but um, I think the actually uh, the the most important thing was was when I started in detail. Uh, I hadn't really before. I gotta be honest with um, uh, read too much of of the World of Darkness um, literature and so forth. But when I started <laughs> studying that and realizing that a lot of it, for example, the werewolves, it's 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 about uh, environmental. Um, uh, effects that humans has on on the planet there and the werewolves are really there to to save the planet right in a way uh it, 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 vampires there's a lot of questions about um, uh, class and power and and political uh, um, uh, games and so forth and uh seeing that in this ip there's so much thought that gone into it and how it reflects life and have helped people to to um to reflect on life. We do get emails uh, now and then from, from people who say uh, it helped them realize that um, uh, actually in the werewolf case, uh, a lot of transsexuals uh, have, have read werewolves and, and had as a help for, for them in that process. Um, um, uh, people have played uh, vampire LARPs and found new friends or, or uh, it's even so we have about 30% of um, the people who responded to a big survey with it um, in the fall said that they met their spouse through through this game. So there's something special with um, with the World of Darkness IP that um, I think can help people, humans, uh, to become better people, uh, but also can help us um, to reflect on what we're doing, for example, environmental um, um, problems that we 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 create right uh, if we can do a computer game which which reflects on that or reminds people about that and gets people think about it uh i think it's 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 important it, it needs to be done so that's the future um learn more uh, about more stuff um 
continue doing really cool entertainment and do actually entertainment that that has a meaning for for uh, for the world we live in that's awesome i i can't help but smile when you're talking i'm just blown away by how driven you are it's 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 fantastic to hear so uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and, and share that with me um yeah, of course. So, Tobias, at the end of every episode, I do ask my guests to share a final piece of advice, something that's been true for you, something that has resonated with you that you'd like to share with others, those aspiring developers out there, those aspiring video game business people who want to grow up to be just like you. Uh, is there anything you want to send people home with today? I, I'm, I was super excited about this question because <laughs> I know exactly, <laughs> you exactly when you said this is the question I'm going to finish off with Excellent. what I would uh, respond uh and also before before really responding to your question this is the reason why i love the computer games industry um it's an industry based on what goes around comes around so uh luckily we don't have that much people who are uh, um uh, problematic or 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 um, you know causes problems for people but we the way i i experience computer games industry is is a great community that helps each other and it's really about what goes around comes around um do take that extra time to to help your your fellow uh, uh friend in the industry or or new new friend to be perhaps um uh, spend the time to uh you know go to the school and make that lecture about the computer games industry or or uh, uh you know, sit down and have a coffee with uh, the in, the other indie developer and share your your um, contacts, uh, uh, you know, with publishers or or financiers or whatever it is. Share your experience, share your um, advice, and uh, you will get it back from others. Um, I've been extremely lucky to get so much help from so many great people, uh, totally for free, because uh, this is how this business gener- uh, operates. Um, so. Keep that in mind. What goes around comes around, and and you will you will profit greatly from it in the end. That's brilliant. Why were you so excited when you realized that's what you were going to say? You knew right away that that's what you wanted to share. <laughs> no, because it's really, it's uh, I can't I can't uh, take credit for this. It's it's um, it's an agent uh, friend of mine uh, called Joel who uh, who. Uh, formulated this for me and said like to be as it's all about what goes around comes around like yeah thank you that's that's what i've been doing uh, all around and i'm really just uh, trying to to message that as often as i can i think it's uh, it's important that we remind each other about that um and uh, yeah it's it's my motto i guess I like it a lot. Well, Tobias, thank you again for coming on the show. If people have really enjoyed this conversation, they want to follow you know, your work, they want to follow the work at uh, White Wolf Entertainment, how can they find you and find the company out on those interwebs? Good question. We have... Um, I'm not a very good Twitter dude myself, but I'm... Uh, <laughs> my name is my Twitter handle, so to, to be as uh, S-J-O-G-R-E-N. Um uh and uh my favorite tool in the world is linkedin uh i you find me on linkedin you can message me on linkedin um if you do want to be a friend on linkedin please do write a little um message about it i get so many um, uh, requests and i really don't just accept 
whoever I, I would like to know why I should be friends with somebody. So sure. LinkedIn, uh, please do that. And then um, for White Wolf and World of Darkness, um, yeah, we have some really big and good uh, uh, Facebook pages. Where we post a lot of stuff, uh, and also um, uh, the Twitter handle for is World of Darkness for World of Darkness. And um, unfortunately, it's WW Publishing <laughs> for, oh, for sure. White Wolf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. And that's it. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Indie underscore Insider or at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. You can also find us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Black Shell Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes with you each week. Special thanks this week go out to Raghav Mother, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hainer, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week.